Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mage Wars Mondays. And uh, we, Scott is not with us here today. My name is Rick from Let's Level Up, and so I'm joined only by... Uh, I'm Aaron Brosman, uh, Creative Director at Arcane Wonders. And I don't have a witty comeback right now, because I usually play off of whatever Scott said. So <laughs> insert your witty comment here, and yeah. Scott will be back next time. He likes to keep it short and simple, folks, which is very nice right now. Um, we wanted to get together. Yeah, Scott's feeling a little sick right now. So, uh, Scott, if you're hearing this, we wish you a speedy recovery, buddy. And uh, he should definitely make it for next episode. Um, but for this episode, we wanted to focus on one of Aaron's favorite mages. Um, and I hope I'm not taking those words. Um, I, I believe I heard you say that once before, right, Aaron? Oh, it's it's more than a couple of times. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. I when, I was, sure. when I was talking to uh, Brian about doing Forged in Fire, I specifically asked. I was like, oh, no, 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 I really want to do this project because I really like this mage. So so if you've heard previous episodes, you may have guessed, we're going to be talking about the Warlord today and all of their awesome battle-shouting glory. Um now we've got two different warlords um, in play right now. Uh, the way things are going um, with Mage, War Mage Wars as a whole. If you're listening to this in the future, uh, right now we have the Orc Warlord and we have the Dwarven Warlord from Forge and Fire. The Orc, of course, coming from uh, Force Master versus, versus Warlord, um, and they each have their own unique mechanics between themselves. Um, but again, they focus on the war school and getting soldiers out onto the battlefield and some pretty neat conjurations um, that I think really kind of set them apart from the other mages. Um, there also was a couple, I believe, playing at Gen Con as the Anvil Throne Warlord. Um, again, that's the, the, the Dwarven Warlord from Forged in Fire. And uh, all in all... It's a really neat mage to have. It's 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 not one you typically think of. I it, when I think of a mage, I don't generally think of a warlord. You know, someone in plate armor and able to uh, wield a two-handed maul of destruction. That's not the 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 general idea of the old uh, the image I have in my mind when I think of a mage. So I guess Aaron, just starting right out of the gate, what's what? What set the warlord apart in the beginning? Do you know? Do you know much about that? As far as how the warlord came to be, as opposed to another just clothy mage. I'm not sure how we ended up with a warlord, uh, but once that idea, um, once that idea kind of took root, I know that it's one that Brian had been working on um, long before I had gotten into playtesting. Okay. Uh, when I had gotten into playtesting, um, we were working on the core set, and uh, Brian, like, even from the beginning of me playtesting, he's like, once we finish the core set, then we're going to do Force Master Warlord. You know, and he already knew those were the next two mages. Those were the ones that he really, that he really wanted to do. Awesome. Um, I do think that it's a, um, it's a pretty interesting, interesting concept. Um, this the idea, you know, of uh, you know, effectively magically leading uh, a whole bunch of soldiers. Um, it's it's definitely not a standard mage. Granted, the Force Master has a lot of themes that are, I guess, you would consider standard mage stuff. Um, but she's very atypical as well. So for the first expansion, we had two mages that were. Um, you know, not not at all like, um, you know, the the mages out of the core set. I mean, there there are some uh, thematic things that the warlord does that you know, like people would say, oh, the beastmaster wants to have lots of uh, creatures as well. But at the same time, conceptually, like when you think of when you think of you know, kind of that pop, pop culture thought of what a mage is. You know, the four mages in the the core set they they would all pop out real fast. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah, you have to have some sort of cleric. You have to have, you know, some sort of traditional wizard. You know, someone who's bargaining with infernal powers. That makes sense. You know, uh, a beast master. That makes sense. And then when you look at uh, druid necro, those are two classical archetypes of, you know, magical power. So, mm -hmm. force master warlord was was really 
you know, to more original, uh, or I should say more atypical ideas. Um, and then, like, Paladin Siren is a nice split right down the middle where you have a paladin, which is a very archetypal, very s standardized class. Like, people people have expectations for a paladin. And then the siren is kind of... It's kind of our own creation. Mm -hmm. um, and so we do we do like to do that where it's you take like and i'm sure people will look back on the episode where we interviewed brian and he talked about the various mages coming up um i know when he was saying hey this is the uh the illusionist and this is what it's going to do you know that's a that's an archetypal mage but then he was talking about the sorcerer like when you say sorcerer you know there's there's ideas that come there but what what he was talking about is this very um, Arabian Nights, you know, kind of uh, work with the planes and oh, pull cool. these elements and stuff like that. You know, he's talking about all that stuff. So it's a very, it's kind of a fresh take on that. So we, we definitely play both sides of that. We, we like. I mean, there's a reason that things become the archetypal, you know, uh, expression you know of you know magical power and stuff like that so obviously yeah we want to do the 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 druid and the necromancer but at the same time um you know we're not limited to just uh you know how would we do insert archetypal mage here you know we have new things like the warlord and i know that um i know we've thrown around a lot of of mages you know effectively in the office here um that are are very, you know, abnormal, very uh, outside the box. So I'm looking forward to those. But that's that's further down the road. As far yeah, as the yeah. warlord, <laughs> yeah. As far as the warlord, um, yeah. It's just it was just that was a concept that Brian like ever since I started playtesting, Brian had the concept for the warlord, and we just kind of ran with it, and we kind of we were kind of like, okay, no, this sounds awesome. You know, because I remember the first day he told me about it, and I was like, no, that sounds great. I want to get to that expansion as fast as possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, so. man. Well, let's let's take a look at the two Warlords as they sit, just uh, going through some of their stats on their player card. So uh, the first one we'll talk about sure. is just the Orc Warlord, um, and it's got, of course, the standard 120-point uh, spellbook size. It's got a 36 base health. Uh, which is actually, I believe, two points higher than the Anvil Throne Warlord. It has no natural armor, nine channeling. Both Warlords are going to be schooled in the War and Earth schools, um, which is very nice, rather trained in those schools. Um, when we go through their abilities, both Warlords have a sort of battle order ability or a shouting ability that they can use to buff their troops in combat. Um, but they, their two separate abilities are very different from one another. Um, I really like the Orc Warlord's Veteran's ability. Um, and just for me to read the text really quick, it says, Whenever a, a friendly non-mage creature makes a melee, uh, or, or rather melee attacks and destroys an enemy creature, place a Veteran Badge token on that creature, maximum of one token per creature, and then that creature gains melee plus one and armor plus one. Um, so I, I love just the thematic concept of something literally dinging on the battlefield whenever it gets a kill. Um, I mean, of course, the, the, my channel, Let's Level Up, it kind of fits with the theme. But when I saw that, I just instantly thought, you know, ding. And uh, I, I was really, uh, really pleased with that. Um, and it's just, it's just really an interesting way to have soldiers who can be pretty beefy but also you can get some fairly um smaller soldiers on the battlefield and make them a more formidable threat which i think is really neat no absolutely um one of the things that i love most about that ability is actually one of the things i argued against in playtesting and i'm really glad that they didn't listen to me <laughs> <laughs> um the veteran badges aren't limited to soldiers. Um, That's right. It's so non-made. I've had, um, gosh, I've had, uh, you know, a veteran iron golem before, and yes, oh, wow. having six armor is not <laughs> that much better than having five armor. But I will say that seven dice for an attack does make you 
a bit scary. Um, one, the other thing I love about that ability is that you, it doesn't take, it doesn't take as much pre-planning, and by that I mean, uh, for like runes, you have to pay for them up front, you have to include specific things in your book, um, with the runes acknowledged. You have to have a plan that includes the runes. Mm -hmm. Um, the veteran badges are totally ice cream. Um, they're, Absolutely. you know, yeah. they're like, yep, you killed something, awesome, you get a scoop. <laughs> you know, enjoy. this is fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's not gonna, generally speaking, it's not gonna make or break the game, but it's really solid, which is fantastic. Uh, ah, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. No, no, it's fine. I agree with you 100%. It's just one of those really neat, nice-to-haves. And um, one of the, I don't necessarily, I don't want to call them complaints, but one of the, a lot of the comments I read about Warlord before Forged in Fire is that there, the War School just didn't really have enough, um, I don't know if pizzazz is the right word, but there wasn't enough... Uh, things that made me want to play the War School. Now with Forged and Fire, there's a ton of other cards that makes both Warlords, I think, much more attractive to play. And I think only um, you know, time will tell as people get more comfortable with Forged and Fire and uh, how the tournament scene is going to play out. But I think we're going to be seeing more Warlords out there. Um, I'm hopefully... Uh, I haven't got any confirmations here, but ho I think hopefully after Paladin Siren, there's a couple war schools in there, or war spells, because I imagine the Paladin will be war. I don't know. I don't know for sure, but that's my guess right now. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure that, you know, as a soldier for his faith, or I should say, yeah. you know, as a knight for his faith, um, he's he's probably going to have something involving that. Yeah, so, so I think war is only going to be getting f stronger. And again, no no official spoilers, uh, but that's, that's my uh, hunch right now. Um, the secondary Warlord ability we wanted to talk about is uh, the one that both Warlords share together, although they are a little different between themselves, is Battle Orders. And uh, essentially, Battle Orders allows you to, once per round, um, the Warlord can pay one mana and cast one of the following quick command spells. Um, the chosen spells affects all friendly soldiers, and it's, it's important to remember that keyword soldiers, uh, in his zone at the time it's cast, and the effect lasts until the end of the round. So um, he has three of those, uh, just like the Anvil Throne Warlord, to choose from. The first one is to battle, and that allows all of those soldier creatures to get charge plus one. There's release volley, uh, which allows everybody to get ranged plus one. And then there's On Guard, which you can get uh, melee plus one and armor plus one while they're guarding, which I think is really, really powerful. I'm a really big fan of the guard ability, which is nice. Aaron, how do you feel about battle orders with, with the orc um, with the orc warlord specifically? Well, I've, I've seen this said before, but I absolutely agree with it, which is um, the, the Blood Wave warlords orders are very straightforward um whereas the anvil throws warlords ones are very utilitarian the blood wave ones are very straightforward he wants to add dice to things he always wants to add dice to things i mean you look at uh you look at his veterans he wants to add dice to things you know you look at his orders he wants to add dice to things so i think that they're pretty solid now they're not flashy at all mm -hmm. these are these are like well, like i said they're very straightforward but they're also very solid um the only thing i would say there that really stands out i mean obviously the guarding one is pretty solid especially since the war school is one of the schools to have uh an intercept creature um they have the dwarf panzer guard and He's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, he's amazing on either Warlord. Uh, he's amazing for a lot of reasons. Uh, but being able to give him uh, melee plus one on his counterattack is is very good. Because honestly, a three die attack is acceptable. Like you'll you'll put up with having three dice. But a four die attack is really the standard that's where you at least want to be and so being able to give him that that attack is is quite good now 
the thing to keep in mind with his battle orders is they affect every creature in the same zone as him. Now, most of the time, most of the time that's not going to matter. Um, especially with the guarding order, you're going to have one dwarf panzer guard and some other creature, and it's very unlikely that you will guard with both. Right. But the best instance to use his battle orders to affect multiple creatures is for the release volley. Mm-hmm. Grimson is ludicrously good. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you needed to tune into this podcast to know that. He's just so amazing. I love him. <laughs> but, he's, he's one of my um, favorite cards in the whole game. But now he actually has some backup that isn't going to fold immediately. Mm-hmm. I love Goblin Slingers, but without any armor, they're a small bag of hit points with an annoying ranged attack. <laughs> but the Anvil Throne Crossbowmen, they're, they're serious. You know, piercing plus two with a three die attack. They they want to get damage on you, and being able to release volley, I'll pump Grimson and I'll pump him. That's pretty solid. That's a solid use of one mana, and a and a quick action mm-hmm. most of the time. Um, but that's the other thing is, I should say the biggest thing with the the battle orders is you always want to look for the right opportunity to use them. But you don't want to force it. And by that I mean you don't want to work so hard to get the battle order off that you ignore the tactics that are actually unfolding in front of you. Um, oh, so great point. The, great point. The best thing about about battle orders is I can use them turn after turn after turn after turn, and they're still going to be there. Uh-huh. Uh, so being able to being able to see the perfect moment to use them and not spend your your action when you don't need to, uh, that's key. That's that's really key with them. What do you what do you think? I just had a thought, and and this may be off base, but um, I haven't personally played too many warlords. I've played the warlord several times, um, but my play group my play group is very small. So a lot of the guys like to stick to some of the more uh, core set mages because they have more exposure to that. Um, but yeah. Battle orders. Do you do you think that's telegraphing what you're going to be doing, a little bit, or maybe I'm thinking of, I'm relying on battle orders too much. But if I'm putting my troops into position where, or moving my warlord up into a position where casting a certain battle order makes sense, um, is that telegraphing what I'm going to be doing next a little too much, or what's your opinion on that, Aaron? The big X factor is always the two cards you prepared. Uh-huh. Um, the beauty of battle orders is effectively you've prepared three extra spells. They're all situational at best, uh-huh. but none of them are bad. Um, so it's it's like the wizard's arcane zap. Mm-hmm. He always has that, but the minute he uses it, he's not going to use one of the two spells he has prepared. So... The difference being, I, I think you're right to a certain extent, is that if you are, if you're trying to force the, if you're trying to force the battle orders, uh, then you're going to be telegraphing pretty hard, mm-hmm. um, because it's going to be clear that it's like, oh, you know, he has, he has an archer's tower in that zone, <laughs> he has, out. he's, he summoned another creature, well. This is his plan. He just wants to sit there and, you know, uh, release volley them. And, and I, the same can yeah, go especially ahead. true for the uh, the charge order. Because any time your opponent's like, oh, he's got like three goblin grunts in the same zone. I bet he's going to tell them to charge. So there, there are certain aspects of it. Like I said, if you're trying to force it really hard, then then I think you'll telegraph. You'll telegraph it just as hard. You're looking for opportunities and not leaning really hard on it. 
then I think I think that's another option that your opponent has to uh, has to gauge. Yeah. So oh, that's that's a great point. That's an excellent point. Um, to finish this guy out, he also has the battle skill, which is going to allow him to get one additional die on melee attacks um, or the melee plus one trait, which I, I think. I, I really love that skill on the um, the excuse me the Straywood Beastmaster. Um, and I'm a big fan of that skill. Uh, pretty much any anything that's going to give me more dice to throw at something, I'm a fan of. Um, however, I don't know if I'm necessarily as big of a fan as it versus the Anvil Throne Warlord's Battle Hardened ability because Tough Minus Two is just awesome. I think. Um, but let's let's go ahead and go into Anvil Throne right now. So again. Um, 120 spellbook size, 34 health, um, uh, max health, uh, zero natural armor, nine channeling. Um, he's trained, of course, again in earth and war, and uh, he has he has, of course, the battle orders ability. We just talked about battle hard and giving him tough minus two, um, but he also has rune smithing, which we've talked about a bit on our forged and fire episodes that we've done. But rune smithing's really, really awesome, and it really allows. I think um, different types of equipment to uh, get a spotlight in the arena where they may not normally get it um, with you're playing other mages and it's it all in all it's just a way for you essentially you're gonna pay one mana and you're gonna assign one rune to a piece of equipment when you cast it and then that rune is going to do um, different things to uh, buff the equipment that you're putting it on which is really thematically is amazing i think we've talked about that as well um but it just it just makes a lot of sense aaron what what's do you have a certain equipment slash rune combination that is that stands out above the others or maybe there's a few of them that you may want to talk about yeah no i there are definitely a few of my go-to's the obvious one which needs to be stated up front is harsh forge plate plus the rune of reforging. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to give it cantrip. There are some there are some spell books that get really bogged down if they have to continuously deal with harsh forge plate. Um, especially true. Uh, I did a spell book for the website that was a warlock spell book, and someone brought up brought up a, a warlord. And that's something that that book is very afraid of. It has to deal with it immediately. It has to go straight for that piece of equipment because the longer I let it stay out, it multiplies that advantage. If every time I cast a curse on you, I have to pay double, you know, before, before revealing, I'm going to be, instead of paying two, I'm going to pay four, you know, that really hampers my tempo right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something you have to go for straight up. And in all honesty, it's, you know, Rune of Reforging. They break it because odds are good they're going to. And then you come back with another rune. Uh, probably the one that's plus one armor. The Rune of Fortification. Mm-hmm. You know, and... and so that's, I think, the kind of key. That's that's a super important piece of equipment because once you have that, if they don't deal with that, then everything snowballs from there. Um, and that leads into my other my other points. Um, the warlord pays triple to use a mage wand, uh, which I mean, it sucks. Because a mage wand is amazing, mm-hmm. um, and a ma- like any wand, any spellbind item is going to give you more use out of the spell points you have, and a warlord, especially, wants to take advantage of that. It's nice having a bunch of pre-prepped spells uh, when you can lean on your your battle orders and then on some spellbind items. So. For me, I always include a Helm of Command because even if I can't 
use a mage wand. I can use the helm of command. And there are a lot of good commands. Yeah. Uh, good. Now, granted, about half the time, I end up putting Battle Fury on that thing and, you know, telling people to continuously smash face. But there's a lot of versatility there. And so that, that equipment or the elemental wand, I always include at least one, if not both of them, for the rune of power. The, okay. yeah. the warlord has access to the earth school, which lets him get the elemental wand at, at spell point cost at two points. Earth spells are notoriously good for being mana efficient. So, you know, you slap a hurl boulder in it, or you slap a hurl rock in it, and you go rune of power. Your warlord always has a very solid ranged attack uh, for a a modest input of mana. Absolutely, I love that. Which one. is which is fantastic. The other thing there that's kind of crazy is if you go with the elemental wand, rune of power. Your warlord, yes, they're going to be spending mana, but you've effectively made them a uh, an archer that doesn't have to stand still. Like, they can move around and shoot two zones, move around and shoot two zones, throwing five or seven die yeah. attacks at people <laughs> repeatedly. Uh, that's that's a pretty good that's pretty good pressure. Um, now, obviously, you can't be can't be super foolish about it because that's not gonna that's not gonna win any mana race on its own. Um, but if you if your mage, all they have to do is I give the order for something to the guys in my zone, and then I use my wand and shoot a boulder at someone. And just do that turn after turn. Um, you can you can accomplish some pretty sweet stuff. Now, keep in mind that, like I said, spellbind stuff is great because it amplifies the spell points that you have. But it also becomes a huge target. But that's where, if they don't deal with the, if they don't deal with the armor, then it's snowballing. So they're going to have to pay you know, five to destroy the wand, plus two points because it had a rune on it, and plus two points to target you because you had Harsh Forge Plate. So, it, it, it really, it's really taxing. It takes a lot of effort, and any time, anything like that, where you're making something take a lot more effort than it should, you need to capitalize on that by putting pressure on your opponent. If you're not putting pressure on your opponent, you're giving him the time to sit there and get the mana. Because if you if you spend an infinite amount of time, like if you're not putting pressure on him, then he has all the time he needs mm -hmm. to sit there, you know, two, three rounds and go, okay, I have the mana now. Now I'm gonna destroy your Harsh Forge plate. Yeah. Harsh Forge plate works really well when you give them tough choices and something like an elemental wand or something like the helm of command ideally when you play those that's to give them a tough choice because you should be putting pressure on them um, but to go a little different direction um, the rune the rune that I actually like the most uh, is the one that gives bonuses to defense Oh, um, I love that, it's an yeah. unusual rune, uh, but I do think that it makes a formerly moderate to bad piece of equipment actually pretty solid. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's reflex boots. Reflex boots were great before, excepting the fact that if you wanted that effect, you would grab the enchantment because the boot slot was so important. Mm -hmm. Eagle Claw boots are stellar, uh, and they stop 
a wide variety of things. So generally, you need eagle claw boots. And so you don't want to be putting on reflex boots unless you're the Anvil Throne Warlord. Being able to give that defense a plus two, that that makes it pretty reliable. Granted, you can also go with uh, deflection bracers, but those only work on melee attacks. Uh, granted, you'll have a great, a great defense against melee attacks, yeah. but it only works against melee attacks. So that's something to kind of gauge. So that's kind of... And that's kind of where my equipment goes. Um, the the piercing rune is pretty easy. It's whichever weapon you're going to use most often. Mm -hmm. The great part now is that the war school the war school has three different melee weapons and a ranged weapon, and this rune works on any of them, which is the beauty of it. Okay. If you want to, if you want to sit there with your avarium longbow and go for piercing two with a four die uh, four die range attack you can do it uh, if you want to uh, if you want to use Isenarch's forge hammer uh, and you know give it some piercing you can do that if you want to just go bare bones and throw down the morning star which you know people can't use defenses against if you want to then give that piercing that becomes something that's really hard to get away from mm -hmm. so any of the weapons you can put it on it's really good the one of the real one of the really great things about piercing is that unlike melee plus X piercing affects all of your attacks so if I put piercing on say um the 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 sledge the war sledge then i can i can uh sweeping attack and i'm going to get piercing on both of them uh which is awesome that is very cool so and and that's that's a, a little thing but that's one of the things that i really love is that Right now, they have so many good, uh, so many good melee wep well weapons in general. Uh, whereas before, there were two weapons, uh, and the bow was good. Uh, the sledgehammer you only used if you were going to do the sweeping, because a sweeping, uh, a sweeping dazing attack is awesome. Mm-hmm. But now there's a lot more options. It's a lot. It's a bigger. It's a bigger kind of world. Like when you were talking before about people, kind of eschewing the war school because there wasn't a. There wasn't a pull. There wasn't a. This is why I play the war school. Yeah. That's a lot of that has to do with depth, and that was one of the, one of the big goals in Forged and Fire, was that we wanted to give the war school depth. We wanted to give it uh, some meat. We wanted to make it so that you know, it 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 had options and there were there were choices and it wasn't just well, it looks like the most efficient creature I can summon up <laughs> is an orc butcher and that's where I stop. You know, so Oh, that's fair. That's so, yeah. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about their battle orders. We're we're almost at forty minutes now, so after we talk about these battle orders, we may hit on one or two cards. But what I definitely like to encourage you guys, the listeners, to do, if you enjoy these kind of episodes where we just kind of spotlight a mage, or you would like us to get uh, deeper into this sort of conversation and actually talk strategies or combos or or uh, building books based on a certain mage. Please let us know. Hit us, hit Aaron up on the Mage Wars forums. Hit me up on Let's Level .net, uh, Let's Level Up .net, or on Twitter at Let's Level Up, um, and just just let us know what mages you want to see, how you like in the episodes, and whatnot. Because again, your feedback is really 
help mold this show into what I feel is a success because I know I talked to a lot of guys at Gen Con and everybody's had great things to say about it. So again, thank you guys for that. But let's let's go back to the Warlord now. Talk a bit about its battle orders here and the Anvil Throne side of things. Um, they've got Take Aim, which uh, ranged attacks gain uh, piercing plus two, which is absolutely incredible. I think. Um, there's Quick March, which uh, you get uh, the fast trait. And then there's Hold a Line, which is Gain Armor plus one and Tough minus two, um, which I think is also very good. Uh, the battle orders here, I think, Aaron, you hit it right on the head. There's a lot of utility here versus the, um, the Orc Warlord um, and just adding the dice to things. That kind of blunt, this is what this does. Um, I, I am drawn to the Warlord, I think, because of the options that you have. Um, I think the Warlord gets a lot of options in the different ways that not only um, you can do when you're constructing your book, uh, which all, I think all the mages have lots of options in that regard, um, but just in general play style. People can play Warlords, I think, from player to player and play them much differently from one another, which I think is incredible when you can take a class and kind of make it make it feel like your own and adapt it to your playstyle, which I think the Warlord does really well. But uh, Aaron, just really quick, what do you think about the battle orders for the Anvil Throne? Well, um, the thing to keep in mind is that if you're making one attack, the Anvil Throne Warlord's take aim is, generally speaking, not going to be as effective as... Uh, release volley. Mm -hmm. uh, adding one die to attack an attack is most of the time going to be better than getting two piercing on an attack. Right. Uh, where that where that breaks down is uh, multi attacks. Uh, if I take if I take Ludwig Boatstorm and I do his triple strike and I've given it piercing plus two. That's three three die attacks with piercing plus two, so that has that has some pretty brutal uh, synergy there. It's still amazing. Like I'm still a big fan of it. It's still very solid. Mm -hmm. But just keep in mind that you are not you're not generally going to get the same amount of effectiveness as you would get with the uh, the orc warlord. The other thing to keep in mind is since it's piercing plus two obviously it stacks so people like the anvil throne crossbowman uh they will go up to a piercing four so it's it's pretty funny when you have them fire at broken bloodstone and he's sitting there basically <laughs> naked um now where i think the money is for the anvil throne warlord is the other two battle orders Take aim is great, um, but the other two orders are definitely better. Um, quick march. You talk about options. Quick march is an order that just adds options. Yeah, quick it's march is lots nasty. Yeah. Um, and the the thing that I will really say is, Horn of Gorthos is great with both warlords, but the Anvil Throne warlord wants the horn. He, he needs the horn because being able to go oh all of my creatures are fat all of my soldiers are fast is awesome the big things to keep in mind there is just because you're fast doesn't mean you will necessarily get to move two squares uh, if you start in a zone or you move into a zone that has an enemy creature you're going to be hindered, and you're not going to be able to take the second move. So this is a this is an order all about positioning. It's about getting people to where they're going to be effective. Uh, so keep that in mind. Personally, I think I think that the the third order, um, hold the line, is is the best one. Uh, it's the one I like the most. Being able to sit there with your warlord, and for your for your opening quick cast every round, go. Oh, I'm gonna quick cast. I'm gonna hold the line. 
and I'm going to use the Horn of Gorthos. So <laughs> all of my all of my soldiers have plus one armor and tough minus two. And then just keep doing that, you know, every round. I'm a big fan of that. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said before, you don't want to get to the point where you're relying too heavily, like you're leaning too hard and forcing the orders. But at the same time, if you can build to a point where that's a legitimate option, then more power to you. Uh, so I, I really love his his options. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's all about him at the end of the day. And the horn is the, adding the horn to this conversation. I think is something that everybody who's interested in playing Warlords really needs to take heed. Um, that thing is just awesome, um, and it's really going to make abilities like hold the hold the line just just kind of devastating. Thinking that you're going to do that for for what one mana, right? Well, when you use the horn, I believe you pay three more. So it'd be four mana, oh, four yeah. mana, and all of your soldiers have tough minus two and armor plus one. That, that's still, if you think of it, if you have uh, quite a few creatures out there, that's still just, just could be devastating. I mean, it really is one of those things that could really turn the tide of a fight or, or allow you to get some breathing room to come back if you're kind of teetering there on the edge right there of, um, of winning and losing, so... Um, it's, it's again, lots of utility within the world. I think a definite mage um, that is gonna stand on its own, um, and and I think and I think in time uh, get played quite a bit more as people get more comfortable with uh, with the latest set of Forged and Fire. Um, I don't know if you have that same feeling, uh, Aaron, or not, but that's that's kind of what I've been seeing from a little bit from the community is kind of. What was before, it seemed a little bit of a reluctance. Now it's people are, I think, are paying a little bit more attention to it. And uh, the war school specifically, but not only that, but the, the, the mage is trained in that school. Well, I definitely think that the release of Forged and Fire added a lot of depth to war. And so now people are willing to... There are... People have found cards that they're willing to try the war school for. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas before, it was like, do you want to do Akira's Battle Cry? Probably not. <laughs> do you want to do War Sledge? Do you need the War Sledge? Possibly, but unlikely. And and so there wasn't too much other than that. I guess. Did you want to use Thorg? And that's a legitimate question, because <laughs> he's amazing. So. He was, like, out of the few cards that were War School only, he was the one the one card that had real pull. And people would be like, well, I'm willing to try a Warlord to play this guy, because he's amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, now you look at it, and it's like, oh, well, I totally want to try Construction Yard, or uh, I want to be able to get the Harsh Forge Monolith, or, you know, I need Harsh Forge Plate. That's amazing. I want it, you know? Yeah. There's a lot more reasons that you look at the war school and you're like, oh, this is something cool. This is what I want. So I, I definitely think that was the big benefit of Forge and Fire was it really helped broaden the school out. I think, and this goes for pretty much all the schools, that, you know, that's something that we want to do going forward is, is you know, broaden the schools out. Um, I, sh I shouldn't say broaden. I mean deepen. You want to yeah, yeah, yeah. deepen the schools so that there are more reasons that you go, oh, no, I really want to play... I really want to play a Dark Mage because of this card. It's mm -hmm. amazing. You know, or I really want to play a Priestess because of this card. It's amazing. So giving people more reasons to look at particular mages, uh, more reasons for schools to kind of stand out, um, that's going to be a good thing, and that's that's a work in progress. Sure. Um, Forge and Fire is kind of the first big step, um, and then Paladin Siren is exciting because we get a chance to visit schools, um, especially Holy and Water. Like, the Water School has, I want to say, like five spells in it, six spells. I can't remember off the mm -hmm. top of my head. 
but not many. And they consist of three attacks, um, a couple of incantations. You know, that's that's oh, and one enchantment. <laughs> you know, so that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. basically it. Um, so the chance to go in and be able to give that school uh, a reason to to excite people is awesome. Being able to revisit the Holy School and be able to go, hey, you know, now you have the priestess and priest and the paladin, and they're all holy, so this is a chance to really expand what that can do, to really, to deepen that school, to make it more exciting and more, give it more of a draw. Mm -hmm. I mean, that'll be great, too. So, so yes, I think Forge and Fire is the first step in that, but I think that's something that we want to keep going towards the future. Absolutely. I think that's something that, as a fan of the game, um, I, I think that's pretty apparent from the way um, you guys as Arcane Wonders have been have been releasing things. So it's, I think that's something that most people can pick up on if they're a big fan of the game and if they're following the, um, the sets as they come out. So... Um, Forge of Fire was a big hit, man, and I—that's I, I, your baby. So, um, congratulations! I, I'm, I'm really happy with that set. Yeah, um, it, it's awesome. I know a lot of guys that um, not necessarily weren't—they weren't not. How can I say this? They weren't not interested in. That's a double negative and and, and stupid. I know. Sorry, uh, but they—it's uh, they were hesitant to get into Mage Wars until they saw the dwarf because a lot of my friends are just crazy dwarven sociopaths that just absolutely love the race and uh in fantasy settings if they don't see it they're not really interested so getting that in there was a big way for me to sway a lot of my buddies into trying the game out and um i think we talked about this last episode most recently you know my best friend got it and he's a big fan of the iron uh, the anvil throne warlord now um which is to me great because now i got uh, one more player to play mage wars with which is awesome um yeah no, that's great do you want to say anything about the Warlord here moving forward or anything about the show or anything, any announcements from the Arcane Wonder side of things here before we go ahead and close? Well, I guess the the last thing since uh, since we kind of wanted to talk about just a couple of cards for the Warlord. Yeah, perfect. Um, one of the biggest things from uh, Forge and Fire is Gurmash. Mm, mm-hmm. Gurmash is amazing because he's a familiar who can cast your battle orders. Which is absolutely fantastic, especially for the the Bloodwave Warlord. Because he's got that melee plus one, he doesn't want to be spending his actions. He wants to spend them aggressively, as aggressively as possible. So letting Gurmash come along and cast command spells for him or cast his his battle orders he's totally fine with that and that's awesome um, but I would highly recommend looking at him for either warlord he's he's he goes back to that idea of utility mm -hmm. um, and apart from that there's I mean obviously there's a lot of cards from forge and fire um, there are a lot of new creatures a lot of new options the biggest advice I can give on the warlord right now is that you have to you have to have a plan with him, um, but I would say that about almost every mage. Sure. The thing is, to play a warlord well, you have to watch your opponent. Um, you have to read you have to read the signals he's giving you, and unfortunately, you have to do that better than most mages because he his strategies turn much slower than other mages. If you're playing a warlock and you pick up on the fact that going with a buddy strategy is not going to work and you need to change, odds are you can probably do that. Mm -hmm. But the key with the warlord is picking up on that stuff as soon as possible because his strategies involve a lot of investment both in mana and in actions. They can be effective, they can be very effective, but you have to watch out for things uh, that can disrupt them. Sure. 
if your tempo gets because, disrupted, it's it's it, to me yeah. it seems a bit harder to come back from that. Yeah, he's he's very much he 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 continues to build on what he already has. Um and so if you have a way of disrupting that, then he kind of has to start back over. So that's the thing that you really want to watch is you got to watch where your opponents are going and what they're doing. Um so from that aspect, I do think that the warlord is a difficult mage to play because there is the chance that you have the wrong strategy to beat your opponent and if you take too long to recognize that then you're going to get stomped now that's true of a lot of mages but like i said the warlord the warlord doesn't turn on a dime sure so uh but i i really think that if you sit down and play him you can find a warlord you'll enjoy um Absolutely. there's a lot of very fun interactions there um as far as announcements or craziness like that, not not really. Um, I will say that I'm super excited because I was talking to... I, was, oh, I shouldn't say talking to. I was emailing Alexander West today. Um, and so, fingers crossed, uh, hopefully our next episode will be an interview with him which uh -huh. we're, we're super looking forward to. We're really excited about, but um, now we just have to line up schedules, which hopefully we can do. I'm really excited. Yeah, that'd be great. So I'm looking forward to talking to you, Alexander, the master of the Straywood Aviary, <laughs> which is an awesome book name. Um, all right, well, that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Um, again, if you'd like to hear more about any specific mage, if you'd like to know more about the Warlord specifically, uh, let Aaron know on the uh, Arcane Wonders forums. Let me know on Twitter at letsupalup.net. Um, I definitely appreciate everybody that's listening to this um, for uh, being a fan of the podcast and supporting us uh, with your words of encouragement and whatnot. It was just an, an absolute... Um, pleasure and an honor to to to, do, to be a part of this whole thing and it's it you know as just a guy who's a fan of the game it's it's cool um to 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 have such an active voice and such an active community and be a part of that community um in, in a game that's as good as mage wars which is just so cool so um scott get better soon buddy hope you uh hope you get over the crud and uh aaron as always thanks a lot man